uh, this will spoil the spontaneousness of it, but because they tell us we shouldn't be drinking beer, everybody on set's going to drink a beer during this show. Okay. Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. David, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Thank you for having me here. It's good. I uh, I definitely wanted to talk to you because when the Biden administration announced this draconian new new policy. I immediate about about beer and 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 sneaking towards what what to me looks like an all-out neo-prohibitionist uh, campaign. I'm like they will pry that beer out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Because because I'm an American and that's my attitude. But you're you're a Canadian, eh? I am a Canadian, and uh, on this instance, it's one of those uh, to quote the former president Donald Trump. Um, on alcohol policy, us Canadians have not sent our best. Yeah. Because uh, this is imported directly from uh, a, one of the big discussions we're having in Canada on alcohol policy. And it's probably the worst thing we could export to the U.S. Yeah. So let's let's flout the policy. I, I, I was wondering if I could exceed the new beer czar's recommended <laughs> limit. But uh, at, for this show only, we're going to require that everybody on set drinks beer. All right. So, Guys, come up, up, grab a beer. Which we'll see if the recording actually works when uh, when no one's actually behind the camera. <laughs> Cheers. And I got my old uh, beers freedom glassware out for this. It's beautiful. And and with any luck, we'll have started a revolution. There we go. But you were reminding me of, uh, um, you know, we're drinking this beer, Dogma, yep. which is a, a Belgrade, Serbia brewery. And we actually made a documentary about this guy. And his, and that story was about the sort of entrepreneurship of, mm-hmm. of trying to create something beautiful and different in a country like Serbia that hadn't had a real beer before. And this one happens to be that, that collaboration between... Uh, Dogma and Flying Dog. And it was probably the last beer that you and I had together, yeah. which would have been, what, five, six years ago now. Yeah. So And uh, now, it, now it feels a little bit subversive. Yeah. Right? Cheers. <laughs> Rebellious. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, people may not know exactly what I'm talking about if you're mm-hmm. not as obsessed with beer as I am. But um, I didn't even know we had a beer czar in the United States. (laughs) Yeah. And there's some mysterious alphabet agency that is um, going to report to the USDA, which has screwed up every single dietary guideline in their history with a radical recommendation Mm -hmm. that that people should only drink um, at most two beers a week. Tell, Tell people what's going on here and then we can trace it back to where this odious idea came from. Yeah, so the idea is that for anything more than two beers a week, you are putting yourself at risk. Um, What that risk is, is the debate, Uh, but it's very much taken at face value. 
And some of it, I think, is a holdover from COVID because during COVID, Americans, Canadians, people everywhere really looked to authority figures in the public health space for guidance, especially in the early moments, whether they, those were right decisions or wrong decisions is, is obviously um, an open discussion. But some of that authority never got pried back. And so we have these organizations or institutions trying to stand on the pandemic mantle of authority and make very serious claims, uh, ones that I would argue are false, that no amount of alcohol is safe, which is a very radical thing to say, especially given the conventional knowledge we have about moderate alcohol consumption, when it becomes a problem, what alcoholism looks like. Um, and so, yeah, here we have uh, a U.S. institution uh, more or less importing what are the suggested guidelines. Uh, I note that they're suggested because they're not yet adopted in Canada. We'll get more into the specifics there. Uh, but basically taking what's happened in Canada at face value without any critical review whatsoever. Yeah. And I have to I have to open that can of worms uh, about trusting public health experts during COVID because it it's in the the irony of the same health experts that that told you that you couldn't leave your house and told you um, what you couldn't couldn't do that you were non-essential. Um, one thing that we know that definitely happened during the government's response to COVID, the lockdowns, was a spike in alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody agrees with this, and 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 typically they blame the pandemic. But I I would absolutely not blame the pandemic. I would blame government policies that 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 not only force people to stay home, work from home, um, but while they were closing a lot of restaurants, they were keeping liquor stores open. Yes, they so were. We, so we wouldn't we wouldn't be surprised if people uh, binge watching things on Netflix <laughs> and and ordering beer from drizzly of course they they got and so like one of the one of the pendulum swing i think is is now these same public health experts are saying wow there's a spike in alcoholism we should do something about that too yeah to a certain extent they've kind of capitalized on on that unfortunate trend i mean it's a predictable one um it it correlates with all sorts of really ugly things in society whether it be domestic disputes or uh, other forms of violence or other forms of drugs, drug abuse. and so, Yeah, I mean, yeah. you name it. I mean, if you make people solid, we are not solitary creatures. We are social animals. And part of the human experience over the eons has been enjoying a drink with friends. Yeah. Um, and you took that away from people. You left them at I home. actually think it's the only glue that holds society together. But maybe that's a radical opinion. There, you'd be surprised. There's some academic research on. Um, I think the book is like how how human society drunkenly stumbled into civilization. Yeah. Um, there are there is some good research there on the value that alcohol has in moderation as a social lubricant, getting people talking, getting people having fun. The link between opening up a beer and watching your favorite football team or celebrating the fact that your cousin got married. Um, they might sound trivial, but when you, and this is what the pandemic highlights, when you steal those from people, that's when you're stuck at home. Yeah, you have Netflix and yeah, you can order food maybe to your door, uh, but you run out of things to do. And that's where responsible consumption can become irres irresponsible. 
um, and you get that ugly side of the discussion. But that doesn't mean that responsible drinking is all of a sudden some monumental health risk. And that's what I've been writing on lately. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the the crazy origins. I've, I've read all of mm-hmm. your stuff now, and the, the origins of this idea um, seem kind of fantastical, but the, the, the a pronouncement from the American government that they might do this is taken explicitly from Canadian proposals. Yeah, yeah. So there's a group called the Canadian Center for Substance Use and Addiction. They're almost entirely funded by Health Canada, which is the health body at the federal level. Uh, so they essentially paid them for a report on alcohol consumption. It was like, what is or is not healthy? Do we need to review the the guidelines? Because the old guidelines for men like you and I is two, three drinks a day. Anything beyond that, you start to have po- the possibility of some negative outcomes. Um, and what they came back with was no more than two drinks per week. And everyone's going, two drinks per week. All right, well, that's so radically low that one, no one's really going to listen to them. Right? Like, would it stop you? I mean, you said they'll, they'll take my beer out of my cold, dead hands. It's not going to stop you. They're probably encouraging me, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I'll, oh, it, I'll drink an extra beer because it'll it'll feel like an act of civil disobedience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're exercising your God-given rights to have, yeah. drink whatever you want, whenever you want, and go away, silly health regulators, with your your ludicrous, ludicrous proposals. But when I started to dig into this, it's a lot more nefarious than just bad advice. So the first level is it's taxpayer funded. So Canadian taxpayers paid for this report. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I don't know how I feel about that. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7. Something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today. Just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. By the way, give give us a sense for um, Canadian beer culture because yeah. I, I, my first beer, and I won't say how old I was, but it, <laughs> it was a Canadian lager. And, okay. And my sense is that beer and Canada go together. It's part of it's part of oh, what. Yeah, it's in it's inter it's in Canadian culture, um, in a lot of different instances, whether it's watching sports, family occasions. It's very similar to America. Moose, moose hunting. Yeah, yeah. Not that I can say I've ever done that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's very much intertwined into Canadian culture uh, across the board, whether we're talking sports, weddings, fishing, hunting, etc. It's like uh, it's like toques and back, yeah. back bacon. Right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Toques, back bacon, and Molson Canadian. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's inter it's intertwined in in culture across the board. So it comes to a shock for a lot of people. Um, but why, what I started to do is dig into okay, well, who wrote this, right? Who are these researchers that wrote this? I went through the data and parsed through essentially how they came to their conclusions. Um, so on who they are. We are talking about researchers who are openly affiliated with an organization called Movendi. Most people have no idea what Movendi is. Uh, Movendi was created probably about 200 years ago uh, as a as a prohibitionist group. 
they don't want anyone to drink ever. In yeah. fact, any of their members take a pledge to live a life free of intoxicating drugs and alcohol. So these are hardcore teetotalers. What was it? their name sounded uh, they, super he, creepy back? Yeah, the the Order of Good Templars. Yeah, which sounds like it's from the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, like I picture something fishy going on in Rome when I hear that name. I can picture them like sacrificing cases of beer. Yeah, to the gods. The river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so right off the bat, I mean, it, the the analogy that I that I wrote that I paraphrased from a, a researcher at a university um, out east is imagine if the government of, of Canada said, okay, well, how much meat should Canadians be eating? And then it came out that the researchers who who got paid to do it from the government were hardcore vegans affiliated with PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Everyone would go, okay, you spent taxpayer money on a report produced by vegans that came to obviously a pre-drawn conclusion, and now you want to take that and implement it as the official guidelines and say you shouldn't really have more than two drinks per week. So right off the bat, it's incredibly fishy, and that's before we even get to the evidence and the nitty-gritty of the claims that they're making. So I always look for kind of a public choice political explanation yeah. as to why government would do certain things and and prohibition has always confounded me a little bit because it it's it actually seems on its face that it it's a self-righteous um kind of an arrogant attitude that yeah. um i am i am a smart member of the elites and and you're just a a, a dirty drunk over there yeah and i'm gonna make you a better person yeah we can tell the commoners yeah. how to live right and american prohibition always felt um sort of hand in glove with um the the original aspirations of the progressive era which which again was very elitist mm-hmm. um wanting to make humans better by reorganizing things from the top down and and that like there's not really a good political explanation for that but I, I'm wondering, in this case, is there a, a bootleggers and Baptist story behind these neo-prohibitionists? Is there, is there some other agenda, or is this just them thinking that they're smart enough to tell us how to live our lives? I, th- I think it's the latter, because I can't see any other vested interest who is, is maybe seeking to benefit from this other than what is essentially just a new version of Puritanism that says you have to live or you should live and we will we will tax, nudge, or ban you uh, into compliance. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, it's the government of Canada not realizing what's going on and taking research, in, in quotes, at face value because those people happen to be affiliated with universities. And without really looking at the risk tables that they put out and the claims that they're making because there's a lot of gerrymandering they do in order to get to the conclusion that no amount of alcohol is safe and anything more than two drinks per week is a problem worth the government caring about. Maybe the public choice story, I don't know if this is true, but it it seemed, I've always predicted this, the, one of the aftermaths of, of the lockdowns that we, we created this pandemic industrial complex this this intertwined network of 
nonprofits, government agencies, and and special interest groups on and the private sector that are all feeding off of all the money that's being spent to deal with public health. Mm-hmm. That machine needs something to do now. Yeah, they they in my mind very much are responsible for any increase in alcoholism. I assume there's a similar dynamic in Canada as well. Um, so they they broke something by trying to fix it. And yeah. now they've created another health crisis and they're going to fix that. Maybe that's the public choice story here. Well, and I think there's a bit of mission creep, right? We see this in the NGO space, especially on the public health side, yeah. where groups who are focused on solving problem X make some gains. And then all of a sudden they get really passionate about solving issue Y. And it's it, again, it could very much be, well, how does an organization like the CCSA justify getting money if they're just, oh, oh we've done our job on smoking yeah, or we've done our job on some other public health issue. And so the window of what they consider worth going after widens to justify their existence and possibly justify the, those taxpayer dollars. Yeah. I guess if there's not a real crisis, they can create one. Yeah, yeah. What 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 can we go after next? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we see it across the board. We, all of a sudden, they're focused on gambling, and should sports stars be able to endorse gambling apps? And we have to think about the children. And that's not to discredit or downplay gambling addiction because it's real. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, it gets really wide. And in the Canadian context, the wider it gets, the more hypocritical it gets. Because for Americans, in Canada, the federal government has a very strident approach to harm reduction for hard drugs, needle exchange, safe consumption sites, drug exchange sites. Um, You have all sorts of programs designed to allow for addicts to stay alive and, and, and try and reduce the harm associated with drugs. Well, at the same time, on issues like vaping or alcohol, it's like they've forgotten that principle and they're rewinding to the 1920s and being like, "Ah, actually, I think we can get away with restricting this as much as possible. And so you have, in in theory, if you live in British Columbia, you have uh, decriminalized drugs. Uh, That's not a policy I'm against because I'm in favor of personal autonomy. It's not something I recommend. so you have a, a government that is decriminalizing things like cocaine or heroin or meth uh, while also lecturing you about that third beer. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you reconcile those two things? I don't think you can. And I've never heard anybody rationally justify the disparity. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. Now, it's, a, it's, it's just schizophrenia, and I think it just, it probably just means they need something new to yeah. freak us up. Us, uh, Freak us out about, and they, they got my attention. I'm freaked out. Yeah. Because like, uh, you, you hear all of these crazy proposals, and then five years later, it's it's public policy, 
You're like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. Remember when they kind of just swept under the rug this policy change and nobody, nobody raised their voice. Nobody made a stink, uh, which is part of the reason why I'm making a stink. Yeah. Um, is so that there's at least some pushback so that while people are off busy with their lives, different levels of government don't just get to, uh, without any form of legislation, change the rules. Yeah. And that's also a big problem because there's like a, there's a level of democracy that's missing in a lot of this public health debate where it's very rarely put to the people. Like, what do you want? Or what do you think? It's always, well, the public health regulators say X, so we're going to go in this route because they know best. And they're all obvious. I mean, you mentioned diets and the food pyramid and I think the Canada Food Guide. It's like, for how many years did they get it wrong? Yeah. Um, and it, we're just in that cycle of, of having policy changed without any type of legislative move at all. Um, but, yeah, one of the things that I've learned um, naively thinking that when, when people would would preach the virtues of democracy and individual choice that they meant it. But post COVID, it seems like democracy means that these faceless bureaucrats and these alphabet agencies decide for us and you comply and there's never a vote. There's never a vote in Congress. There's never even any sort of public comment period. They're just suddenly we're required yep. to do X. Well, and, and this is the thing, I, this, the conversation I mostly have with Democrats in the U.S. Um, when they talk about executive power and we need to do this because for some reason, I always say, do you want Donald Trump to have that power or Ron DeSantis? And almost always the, the response is no. Well, if the answer is no, then nobody should have that power. I mean, this goes back to the Obama the, the Bush-Obama transition of rule by executive order. Well, Obama passes all sorts of things via executive order, and then he hands those keys to Donald Trump, who I'm no fan of. And did I, did I, did I want Obama to have that power? No. Did I want Trump to have that power? God, no. And you get into this cycle of the more you strip away those norms, yeah. right? Which is supposed to be accountability at the end of the day whether we're talking about public health or anything else, yeah. um, the easier it is for the people you don't like to wield that power. What are they going to do with it? It's the whole point that these institutions exist with checks and balances and all of that stuff you learn in civics class or from a commercial with a bill on the front steps of the Capitol. Right. Um, it, it, we just see that eroded, and then all of a sudden decisions are made for us, and we're like, well, nobody asked me. How do we get here? We were talking earlier about the, the perversions in public policy that that become radically anti-health and anti-public safety, um, all wrapped in in some other language that that's a contradiction. And 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 I've been banging on the anti-human nature of lockdowns and all of these um, um, social problems and yep. individual health problems that have emerged because of treating people like lab rats. Um, another example of that, something that you guys have worked on quite a bit, is the is the banning of Uber, mm -hmm. um, which effectively makes it, um, in effectively encourages drunk driving. Yeah, yeah, and that's not just an opinion anymore. 
We see it time and time again in all different cities and different countries, different cultures. When you take away the faster, safer, cheaper uh, mode of transportation, that people shouldn't do it, but they leave the bar, they can't get a taxi, and they think, they think oh, I'll, I'll roll the dice. And obviously that can have lethal consequences. And we've seen there was a police chief in Texas um, when there was a proposed ban who came out and said, do not do this. It will increase drunk driving. Uh, we partnered on a campaign with Mothers Against Drunk Driving in Toronto, highlighting the consequences of Toronto City Council putting a cap on Uber drivers going right into the holiday season, which you couldn't pick a worse time. You think Christmas parties, yeah. celebrations, the drinks are flowing, people are having a good time, they're likely on vacation. Uh, road conditions are worse, especially where I live. Um, just a recipe, a very toxic recipe for disaster. Um, and yeah, we've been pretty vocal on that, that not only should consumers have access to it because they want it, right? That's, in my view, justification enough. Yeah. Um, but if we get beyond that into the policy implications and the externalities, these have real world implications and they have real world implica implications on some of the ugliest things we want to avoid, right? Nobody wants to see their friend get in a car after having too many. Nobody wants to hear about someone being in an accident because somebody else made that stupid decision. And yet we want to create an environment where it's more likely for people to make those decisions. Um, and it just leaves you scratching your head. And, and in some sense, it's, I think a lot of policymakers will have the horse blinders on where it's like externalities be damned. I'm, I'm just focused on, we're going to fix this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm not going to listen to the opposition. I'm not going to listen to anything else that could happen as a result. And then you get some really unfortunate consequences. Hayek, Frederick Hayek, would have called that fatal conceit. <laughs> he would, yes. And one of the rules of this show is whenever I quote Hayek, we drink. There so, we go. So there it is. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, that means you guys too, by the way. Um, I want to I dig a little bit deeper. I don't know how far we can go because yep. it's, it's, it's shrouded in, in mystery to me. But we have this, this creepy neo-prohibitionist think tank i guess based yep. in sweden what's yep. it called again movendi movendi and they go back hundreds of years yep. um what 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 are the what are the origins that you understand and how do they finance themselves and yeah what, what are they doing this is this is wild to me i almost couldn't believe that people take this organization seriously so they're an old school prohibitionist temperance group um, they don't think anybody should drink ever. They don't think they think the world would be an exponentially better place if, if nobody had any beer uh, or wine or spirits or what have you. And they've thought that for a long time. Uh, they rebranded recently to Movendi, uh, I think, because the former name sounded like it was. Does in that a, mean anything, or is no? That like I, a, I think it was just your classic. It's like they, a new brand of cigarettes or something. Yeah, yeah. They, they realized that their old name sounded a little too. Uh, medieval yeah um and so they rebranded um and so I, I was like okay well who who is paying for this group they who to be very influential right they partner with the world health organization officially their researchers write official reports to governments like the government of canada um and yeah they fund their activities by running a lottery 
That's perfect. And not just any lottery. I mean, there's nothing wrong with running a lottery. Of course. Um, it is a little hypocritical or hypocritical to seek a war on one vice on the back of another. Um, if you're going to be a hardcore Puritan, at least be a good one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they run a lottery, but it's not just any lottery. It's a lottery that's embroiled in scandal where the Swedish Consumer Agency has several times fined them, temporarily paused their operations because they engage in deceitful marketing. Um, they defraud customers. They appeal to minors. Right, all of the bad corporate behavior that they obviously accuse the alcohol industry of doing, mm -hmm. that's how they keep the lights on. Yeah, it's wild. Um, and Th so, is it a partnership with government? So here, like, I I don't think there's exceptions. I think governments control lotteries in the United States because they they don't want us to gamble. But if we do gamble, they want the they, money. They, they want it. Yeah. yeah. So in Sweden, my understanding is that nonprofits can run lotteries as charities and so that's how they run it um and it's a it's pretty substantial we gotta we gotta get into that gig yeah 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 <laughs> yeah the, the I, want, I want a piece of that market. yeah the yeah. matt the matt and david lottery and, yeah. and <laughs> we just keep the lights on for all of our pet projects by yeah. by uh by selling scratch tickets encouraging or like. people to drink more beer yeah there we go. i think is, is our purpose <laughs> um yeah so they, they run a lottery and and a, a pretty shoddy one at that um, and they do it all to try and lecture the world uh, and influence decision makers to tell people that they shouldn't drink anymore. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. Did there, so their, their research, which is, is only just proving the point they want to point anyway, so they cherry pick yeah. the data. Yeah. Um, it, it, it all looks totally specious to me. Mm -hmm. Um, was the first step the World Health Organization? Who did they sell first on their goofy research? That's a good question. Um, it's probably the World Health Organization because they've been partnering with them for a, for a while. Um, and I think that's probably on purpose because that gives them the, the badge of approval. Yeah. Um, and then they start to creep into uh, into your national health agencies and whatnot because it a lot of a lot of the time for better or for worse i think it depends on what we're talking about if we're talking about ebola um then guidance from the who is probably pretty good uh if we're talking about you're, you're more optimistic than me uh, yeah but, I, but we'll, we'll save that subject yeah, for another day if we're talking about other issues yeah. it gets the jury is out um on, yeah. on a lot of other issues um and so yeah they 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 kind of weaseled their way in in regards to influence or this nationally recognized internationally recognized ngo and they pump out this junk science um and i can explain some of the nuances without getting too complicated into the risk tables and whatnot on what that junk science is but it really is junk science so 
it's interesting to me, and I'm again, I keep going back to the damage that health, uh, public health officials did to us over the last four years. The World Health Organization, in my mind, has has tremendous responsibility for some of the really horrible policies. And again, if you're talking about that cause effect of of telling people they couldn't work and telling them that they couldn't leave their homes, and then you see spikes in in the misuse of of alcohol and then the world health organization has in fact embraced these these standards as well yeah for the most part yeah for the most part um not in the same way that canada or um or the u.s may um but this is the problem is that like the badge of approval just gets taken at face value without any critical review um, and so that was kind of the point of when I started to write about this was, all right, I'm going to critically review, I'm going to go through the nuts and bolts of how they came to this conclusion and give an honest assessment of my take. And to be honest, if it checked out, despite the fact that I enjoy beer, I wasn't going to write something to say, well, their research be damned. Like if it checked out, it was going to check out. I was, I, I, I. At least I consider myself to have the intellectual honesty there to... When it comes to beer, I believe in informed consent. Yeah, of course. So I, I would like to know if this beer is killing me. Yeah. I do not believe that to be true, but no. if there's data otherwise, yeah. then tell, you me, should, tell, yeah. tell me about it. Yeah, you should know. So first big thing that uh, that this report that we're talking about, which is the, the basis of all of it, um, ignored, is they ignored all of the research on the positive health impacts of alcohol. And there are. If you look at all-cause mortality, there's something called a J-curve, which means people who consume one or two beers a day max have a lower all-cause mortality than those who completely abstain from alcohol. Um, There are a variety of reasons for that, whether it be heart health, socialization, which is a huge part of overall human health. Um, And that isn't to say if you don't drink, you should drink. Right, that's your choice. I don't judge anybody for not drinking. Um, in I, this, I try not to. Yeah. yeah. In this case, I judge people who are very strident non-drinkers, right. trying to move the needle. So I that, judge people that want to tell me how to live. Yeah. My life. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and and I live that way. Like I'm, I'm not going to lecture somebody who doesn't drink. They have their reasons. I don't need, I don't need to know, nor do I care. Yeah. Um, and that really should be. The, the approach from the other side, it isn't. Um, so, yeah, they completely ignored that the J-curve exists. They just kind of swept aside the inconvenient research on, uh, on, on the fact that that exists. And if you don't acknowledge that it exists, you, you start from a linear path of every beer is damaging, which is, of course, not true. Yeah. So this this. The alternative, like so, mm-hmm. we're, we're we're picking apart this 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 quite authoritarian model where where the so-called experts, and they're, it turns out they're not so expert, but the so-called <laughs> experts are going to come up with ways that we should better live our lives, what we should eat, what we should drink. Um, I'm I'm thinking of uh, the movie version of 1984 where they have to get up every morning and do the government-imposed uh, workout session. Yeah. Um, what is what is the alternative? If the experts aren't telling us how many beers we can have a day, it's just chaos, right? We we couldn't possibly decide that for ourselves, could we? Well, yeah, but th- this is the funny thing is that by moving it from 
two drinks a day for a guy like you or I to two drinks per week, the threshold goes so low that people think the idea of suggestions are a joke. Yeah. So I've actually argued that this may do more harm than good because the threshold is so low that everyone's going to look at it and be like, this is ridiculous of six or of eight. And it doesn't matter because the premise is gone. Obviously, there is a point in alcohol consumption where it can harm your health. We all know that. You're throwing shade at me right now, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm not commenting on, on the amount of beers you may uh, may want to I- indulge in in any given instance. But um, so it's, it's going to do more harm than good, in, in my view, because it just makes the idea of any information false. Uh, but what's funny is that there is a model for information um, that is done in Europe that's the least paternalistic and the least heavy-handed. It's like a QR code, which because of COVID, they're back, the QR codes. Um, I hate those things. Uh, so do I. So do I. And I hate them at restaurants. Particularly as a menu. Like oh, I, no. I want a paper menu. I'm I want a Luddite. Yeah, I want to hold the menu. Yeah. I don't want to have shoddy Wi-Fi or bad data and not be able to load the menu. That's no good. Um, but yeah, they, they started throwing QR codes on the bottle rather than tobacco-style warnings, which these researchers also want, big cancer warnings. Um, they throw the QR code on the bottle, and it gives you things like the calories and um, like what is considered moderate drinking in the country that you're in and what some of the health guidelines roughly are. So it's the softest way of actually giving consumers real information rather than hitting them over the sledgehammer with a beer that, let's say, has no branding on it and says beer causes cancer or beer does this. Right. Um, it's a way of actually informing people so that there is some information and you can access it relatively easily. Um, but it's not done so in that nanny statism, paternalistic way where obviously we know best and we're going to tell you how to live. Yeah. One of the unintended consequences of this absurd policy, but I think a lot of public health information going, going back to the USDA food pyramid is that people are losing confidence in the sage advice of experts. They think, yeah. they think it's rigged. Yeah. They, they think it's, it's not credible. They think it's political. Yeah. And there, there is some scenario in the future where we're going to be dealing with a serious public health crisis and nobody's going to believe anybody who claims to be an expert, yeah. and that that is that is that is horrible. Because I think it, I think I think science and public health these are these are real functions in society. Yeah. But it's become so politicized and so absurd that everyone's like, ah, screw those guys. Well, I mean, the worst example I can think of from not to talk about the pandemic all the time. I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. But the worst example in Canada, and I'm sure it happened in the U.S. Right off the bat, the health minister said. Don't buy masks. They don't work. It was like a noble lie. Mm -hmm. She was saying it because she didn't want a run on masks and healthcare workers to be short on masks. So, okay, masks aren't the solution here. Fast forward three months, you can't go anywhere without a mask. Where I lived, when restaurants were open, you wore your mask into the restaurant you sat down at the table. You took your mask off to eat while everyone else is eating and breathing. Right. And then if you had to go to the bathroom, you put your mask back on because COVID apparently in the corridor to the toilet is very active. 
Um, no, you haven't read the science. At four feet, yeah, COVID was not there, but at six feet, and it was everywhere. Well, and this is the and and so that I don't think people really grasp the damage that that did, and it has lasting effects across the board because when it really matters, you can't, you do not want a, a public who just completely ignores what the best evidence tells us at the time, yeah. because that may actually save lives. And if we get to a point where everyone is, has that fatigue, that expert fatigue, because there's mental gymnastics involved and they're flip-flopping like an ex- on alcohol, how on earth would, over the span of three months, the guidelines go from two to three drinks per day to two drinks per week? What has, what has changed in the human condition or the substance of alcohol in the span of the time it took to create that report. Yeah. Nothing has changed. And so people start to see through it and they're like, oh, well, you experts seem to be wrong yeah. a lot. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it could have some pretty serious implications down the road. Knock on wood, we're not there anytime soon. But I mean, the, the sirens for bombing goes off and people are like, wow, these guys have been wrong before. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Yeah, that's not a that's not a nice scenario to envision. It it there there may be an upside to the downside, and I, okay. I'm having. Um, do you know who John Tierney is? John, yeah, John Tierney, former yeah. New York Times science writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I think he basically had to leave the New York Times because they wouldn't let him do objective yeah. science anymore. And and we're going to talk about the the incredibly suspicious science on masks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I bring that up is it may be the case that we can, in fact, still rely on experts, but, but create kind of a competition, um, as science itself is supposed to be this iterative process of testing hypotheses and having another scientist say, no, you're all wrong. Here's my evidence. Yeah. It may be that there's a marketplace for expertise where we would discover that John Tierney, um, is more credible than the USDA or the That's FDC. A, this is an interesting argument. Yeah. It's an interesting argument that you could have different ecosystems of experts and that the marketplace of ideas between these groups could could generate better outcomes rather than and well I mean I think to some extent we North Americans yeah um spend a lot of time looking up to government for ideas, advice, suggestions, health guidelines. Um, and like you said, again, going back to the, the food pyramid, probably if you had ignored that from the start, human health, arguably, we would be in a much better position in terms of the food intake and what people are eating and what quantities and the, the focus on carbs and all of those things that yeah. now we're grappling with. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's merit there that competing groups of experts and researchers could create a better dynamic of checking each other yeah. rather than one person or one institution being the only authority figure. Yeah, there's no accountability when no. there is a final authority. Um, so what's what's going on in Canada? Where where are you based in Canada? Uh, just outside of Toronto. Okay, and uh, 
you guys locked down hard. We did. Yeah. yeah, pretty hard a couple times. Maybe maybe harder than we did. I'm not sure. Significantly. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly harder. Yeah. I'll give you the the most egregious example I can think of from the community where I lived. Um, so lockdown. Nobody's really going to work. Everybody's at home. Restaurants are closed. Gyms are closed. Basically, all that's open is grocery stores and their capacity limited. Uh, banks and hospitals or clinics. Um, a family of uh, four, so a dad and I think it was th- uh, three kids I think he had, um, they got the rollerblades on. They go out to the, the local arena, the parking lot, which is empty, of course. Nobody's at the rink. So you have like a 300-car parking lot, completely empty. And they get their, ho- their road hockey sticks out, and they're playing. They set a net up. It's just the family, right, the people they live with. They're shooting around. Bylaw officer comes around. It's like, actually, you're violating the the COVID rules right now. How so? We're outside. We're not with anybody else, right? We I live with these people, so there's no risk between us. And uh, yeah, the ruling was uh, they were on uh, they were on like a public facility in the parking lot. Seven hundred and fifty dollar fine. Yeah for violating the COVID rules. I mean, we find people for going walks through public trails alone, just going on a walk. And so you look at a lot of that. I mean, there was some, I don't, not necessarily where I was from, but some pretty crazy stories where like people would be on walks in the park outside and you'd have bylaw officers waiting for them to stop and talk for what was deemed too long with somebody else uh. at a distance that however you can determine that from 40 feet away, um, was too close. And finding people for, like, if we passed each other on the street, and I was like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? Good, kids are good, oh, good, good. And and someone being like, woo. Sorry, that was too long of a conversation, and it looked like you guys were a little too close, so here's, 700, here's a $700 fine. And, yeah, it doesn't matter that you're not working because we stopped you from working. Right. <laughs> And there, and to to put a point on this to everything else we've talked yeah. about, there was zero science to support such stupid policies of a family that's been forced to stay in their house, coming out into the fresh air alone. Yeah, it was just compliance. Yeah, it it, it was. You are not complying, and therefore we will punish you. It wasn't that. There's an exponentially higher risk. Like there was a big debate over gyms, right? Gyms was a was a tough one, right? You're running on a treadmill, you're exhaling. There's someone running on a treadmill next to you. They're exhaling. Okay, I could, there's at least whether you agree with it or not, you can see the justification for it. Not so much with playing with your kids in a park. Right. That's that. No sensible person can look at that and go. Yeah, I'm going to tax a, a minimum wage earner his week's earnings because he wanted to take his kids to shoot a ball around. Yeah. So we've been complaining a little bit about, <laughs> yeah. about you Canadians because we're exporting this, this ridiculous idea yeah. of, of two beers per week. But I, I've, I've been talking about this quite a bit as well, speaking about the politics of lockdowns. Um, I believe that the worker uprising, the Canadian trucker strike, 
was the impetus for the United States finally, finally, finally stopping our lockdowns. And not mm-hmm. just that the uh, federal was slower to respond, but a lot of these states um, are seeing a workers' uprising happening in Canada, knowing that it's about to happen in their state as well. And they magically said, you know what? The science has changed. It was different yesterday. Yeah. Today, we're going to stop. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Canada. <laughs> I don't say that that often, by the way. Hey, there are a lot of good things. Yeah. A lot of good beers you can import from Canada. Um, yeah, that's an interesting It's a good band. Yeah. Rush. Yeah, good there band. you go. Good band. Very good band. Which now has its own beer, by the way. Are you yeah, aware? They do. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, that's an interesting take. I think that there's probably a lot of merit to it because generally speaking, Canadians are a lot less rebellious. Yeah. Um, it's just in our nature. If you look at the fact the the country is founded by They're so damn friendly, the, the colonists yeah. and the, the, um, supporters of the King who left the United States to stay British subjects. So there's a level of, of compliance and we don't have that rebellious, um, streak that you do, uh, here in the U S. And so I think there's probably a lot of merit to that, that, well, if the Canadians yeah. can do that. And, and I say that regardless of your opinion of whether or not blockading roads in downtown Ottawa was good or, or bad or whether they should have been arrested or what have you. Um, I think the spillover effect there would be something really interesting if you could be a fly on the wall in New York State or in Michigan, especially border states. Yeah, Wisconsin. Where, where you're like, yeah. oh, okay, Ottawa. Yeah. They're going to Ottawa. Okay. We, I mean, PR disaster for the Trudeau government. Yeah. Um, from a logistics standpoint, from uh, across the board, just a nightmare. Um, so, yeah, I could see a couple governors maybe realizing what was happening not so far north of where they were and going, okay, well, we can't have this. Not on my watch. So, and I, I, I tell this story, I celebrate. Um, brave Canadians because I'm also shaming Americans that didn't step up. Okay. Because I, I, I really wanted, I, I'm pro- probably more radical than you are, but I wanted peaceful resistance. And I bring it up because there is a real push today to do it all over again. They're trying to scare us into doing this. And I, I'm suggesting that in a democracy, in a more top-down authoritarian government and a pure dictatorship, if enough people simply say no, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah, and I don't think that there's an appetite to do it again. And I think that a lot of people who went along to get along... Or they they believe the experts, right? In fairness to them, they Um, were being told that we had to do this, and some people said, oh, well, I guess we have to do it. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to look to the experts in the same way. No. Because in the early stages, if you knew someone who had COVID or you knew someone who had died, it was very real. Yeah. It was very real. And it was scary. As time went on and the virus changed, it becomes more transmissible but less lethal, the evolution of almost any virus. Yeah. Um, People start to know others right their uncle gets covid and he's like yeah i had a cough oh okay my best friend had covid and he's like i only know because i had to do a test yeah not i didn't have any symptoms and as soon as you start to see that permeate through society where we know people who 
didn't have a rough go of it, then the justification um, isn't there anymore, right? If you think in the early days, it was images of Italy, it was morgues backing up, it was New York City, it looked like the beginnings of um, I Am Legend. Right. It's scary. Um, two years, two and a half years, three years on, I just don't think anybody buys it. And I think you got a lot, you'll get a lot of people who are and were happily vaccinated who did comply and wore masks be like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah, no because, thanks. Because we did it once, and it's just not it's not the same as it once was when we were seeing those images of, of bodies in Italy or, or any of the horrific things we saw on the media. And so that's a tough sell, and especially in the context of elections. Right, we're, We have a minority government in Canada, which in theory means we could have an election any time between now and two years from now. Um, if they bring that back, that's a rally cry for the opposition. And I think the same would apply for Biden here. If, um, if, the, if, if blue states start to bring it back, I think you're going to see President Biden distance himself from those policies and not embrace them in the same way he did before by the way political death two beers a week yeah and mass mandates oh you're done you're what are you done. supposed to do yeah don't no no rational politician hey, would do hey, that. just eat an extra large pizza to yourself yeah. that's it <laughs> okay give us a give us a sense for where we can find out more about the consumer choice center yeah your research, your colleagues' research. Yeah, consumerchoicecenter.org. You can follow me on Twitter, at Clement Liberty. Uh, that's where I post everything I've, I write nationally in Canada and nationally in the United States as well on all, all sorts of topics, whether it be alcohol, cannabis, ride-sharing, free trade, uh, you name it. All it's, my favorite subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's have another beer. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.